And we are live with our 189th episode of Absolute Absec. I'm Ken Johnson at CK Tricky on Twitter, joined by my co-host Seth Law at Seth Law on Twitter. Seth, say hi. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another episode and happy open SSL vulnerability day to you all. Um, yeah, there's a there's there's a lot to discuss today. There's been a lot going on. I know it's been a couple of weeks since we have chatted, um, Ken. So, uh, you know, I don't I don't know if we want to jump right into it uh, from a conference perspective. Um, Deep DeepSec is still sort of we'll see what happens there. Right. Whether or not one of us is going to be on site for DeepSec or not, just with some other things that have popped up. Um, and yeah, otherwise, I was at SaintCon last week. It was pretty good. Ended up helping out with the AppSec Village and or AppSec Community, as they call it there. Um, had people reviewing source code, submitting bug fixes against. Really? Uh, yeah. Yep. Uh, we had like a CICD pipeline set up that actually ran tests against uh, fixed code. Um, and that was part of like the CTF that was there that was running. Uh, it was an interesting experience uh, seeing how people could either jump in or like how to direct them towards specific vulnerabilities in code when they're trying to find it. I mean, it was a source code review activity, right? Um, right. Um, and at some point, maybe we'll do a full debrief on it. Uh, there was another person that was helping with me with it. Uh, Seth Manis from Lucid Software of all places. It's also local here in Salt Lake City, but um, it was interesting, right? Uh, there's, yeah. yeah, I mean, as we know, there's a lot of secure code review that goes on um, and it was more of a blue team activity as opposed to like uh, most CTFs that are so red team focused and code breaking focused. So, um, I apologize yeah. for my dog there in the background, if you can hear yeah, you're fine. Whatever. Um, how are you doing? Right? Like, what what's on your radar right now? Yeah. So, I mean, we've got um, we've got Phoenix uh, at the end of January for us, right? Where we're trying to we're trying to get down there. Um, and on top of that, uh, I just again want to reiterate: there's some great trainings going on for OWASP Global yeah. in San Francisco coming up here in two weeks. Um, I think it's two weeks and. John Poulin, I, I have to mention, you know, because I, I fully believe in John and his training and we've seen his training. He's given a one day workshop there. So highly encourage you to, to take that training. As for our deep sec, as Seth mentioned, uh, just had a lot of, uh, you know, some personal things come up, uh, you know, so it, it's, it's been it's been a it's been a crazy month. We'll say that. And um, anyway, so we're still figuring that out. Um, and let's see, I guess, what else, Seth, anything else I'm missing? I know we're, uh, uh, yeah, I think that's about the the extent of things. So we have so much to chat about too today that it's like, yeah, I'm, I'm excited. We I don't even know which thing we're going to start with, but uh, yeah, overall doing pretty good. You know, work's been busy, obviously. Um, been a couple things uh, that I think I saw on the swig about GitHub uh, related bug bounty stuff that had been. Yeah. Um, put out there. So uh, not that that's on our list to talk about at all. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you want to check it out, go to Daily Sway. You can see a couple, there's like a, I don't know, they call it like repo jacking. I don't know. It's another name thing. Repo, um, repo jacking. Woo yeah, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's cool. It's cool that uh, they, they poked holes in our retired namespace yeah. um, functionality for sure. But uh, 
I wouldn't, I wouldn't go as far as making a website or a brand. And then the other, the other one was a cool uh, bounty submission around math jacks and like overriding CSS components to, to uh, spoof a login. So I, I highly recommend checking them out. It's interesting. It's always fun to see what comes out of our bounty program. I think that might be surprising to some people that like, you know, you, you actually enjoy seeing things like this, but it's like, yeah, of course, you know, I don't want to see it. I don't want to not see it. And then it just happened. So it's nice that people submit to us and engage with us and let us know and we can pay them and yeah, have a nice mutually beneficial relationship. So I don't know, man, beyond that, uh, you know, just like I said, life, work, busy um, kind of yep. stuff. How well, was Halloween? It, it was good. I should post it. Well, yeah, we'll see. Uh, yeah, so so I'm wearing my Halloween costume for everyone, right? Like uh, I thought it was a, a Jedi robe. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, that's that's uh, that, that's the best you're gonna get out of it, right? You know. Yeah. <laughs> it looks very Jedi. -y. Yeah. Yes, it does. It does. I, I figured I'd get one more day of use out of it, right, before it goes back into storage. So don't make me get the Darth um, helmet out. Yeah, exactly. Maybe, maybe we just do the, the podcast all in costume. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it was, you know, it, it's always good, right? Like, um, yeah, step out for a little bit, forget about security for a, at least a couple of hours. So I don't Any know. Big though, takeaways, right? like, by the way, from, sorry, I'm, uh, go ahead. I'm bouncing all over the place. Oh, from St. Con? Yeah. Or, yeah. I, no, from St. I, I mean, not from Halloween. <laughs> no from halloween candy is <laughs> yummy right like that's that's about all i got there um the, the parent tax uh, yeah. still applies <laughs> yes exactly well i, I mean it, it, it's fairly useful because i you know i have kids that are allergic to peanuts and so anything that they collect like a snickers or reese's or anything is automatically Baby like Ruth. yeah exactly is automatically like parent candy as opposed to kid candy so there you go um mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, as far yes. as St. Con goes, right? Like they, I don't know, man. Uh, like I spent a lot of time in the, the AppSec community, helping people look at code and, you know, just talking about cross-site scripting and like, like kind of the, the generic application security or the OWASP top 10. Um, from a like keynote perspective, they had uh, Deviant Olam, they had Snow, and Jason Street. Those were the three keynotes. Um, pretty and, good, pretty I mean, good was, keynotes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they, it was it sold out this year. They had what fifteen hundred attendees. Um, they are very network security, social engineering security focused. But AppSec has definitely grown up. There's more. There's more AppSec going on there in ProdSec than there has been in the past. Um, so it was good to see that. Um, I mean, you know. Deviant Olam's talk, like once they posted on the YouTube channel, people should check it out. I mean, it was very kind of practical, like risk analysis and prep um, discussions. Whereas, you know, Jason and uh, Snow have a lot of good stories about social engineering engagements. Um, so it's entertaining. I don't know how, how practical it is in a lot of cases, right? But very entertaining. Um, yeah. And there's value in I that. I don't know. I feel like there's yeah. a lot of value in that because... Because like you need, I feel anyways, it's nice to have those inspiration because some, some talks are just purely to like be kind of inspirational, to be kind of a North star or just to be something that you can kind of, yeah, if it's entertaining, but it kind of makes you excited to do what you do and keeps you going. Um, 
I think there's a lot of value in that. You know, that I, I, I love, of course, technical talks, but let's be honest. And this is maybe a whole other tangent we could get off on. But like, if you got 45 minutes, what's the reality? You're going to kind of like focus in on kind of more of the results. Maybe you'll follow along for some parts, but like there's going to be a lot more to dive into after and later. And usually that's when you go into the presentation, you might rewatch the talk, you might re, uh, read the like, the links, the resources links from that presentation, and you can go deeper into it. But like entertaining is a big part of speaking. Um, and anyways, I think it's good to have a blend of both technical and just more like inspirational talks. Yeah. And I, I mean, in general, that's, you know, I would agree, right? Like, um, you know, so, sometimes if you go to a lot of security conferences, right? Like you do get a lot of the same keynotes and you have seen people oh. over and over, right? We always joked about that yeah. with Kaminsky, right? Like that the same talk that we saw multiple times, because if you're you're in the speaking circuits, like, okay, I don't need to go to this keynote unless he's actually changed something, right? Um but not that it wasn't entertaining and it's not relevant information. Right. Um, and it's, it is interesting to hear about uh, flaws in uh, like process and in people and training, um, right? Like it, it all relates at some level and we need to realize that this is what most people go through. Um, and that people in general are usually the weakest link nowadays. It's not necessarily that, um, yeah, it's, it, it's not necessarily that technology fails us. It's that we allow people to make poor security decisions or we trust them uh, with too much, yeah, too much access. We trust that they are going to be our first line of defense. Um, and I mean, that's what you see in social engineering, right? Like people have a tendency to be helpful and either and not know what to do or ignore the instruction that they've been getting or forgot what the instruction was. And so it's, it's, it's a hard balance to walk. Um, and I know we have that one article and maybe we start with that, that one paper. I, or, I don't know. Do you want to jump into that? Uh, I know you've got opinions on it. So. Sure. But which, which article? Oh, the, uh, Oh, uh, mean the uh, interview the one. Yeah. The paper on healthcare security. Hmm. From from oh, Dartmouth. Man. Let me post. Yeah, that. let me put this out here. Okay. Yep. Drop it up there. Which uh, uh, we are going to talk about the open SSL for because we see like some chatter already in our chat about open SSL. That's definitely on our our map, but I I don't. Yeah. Anyways, not as high a priority. I think everybody's aware that this is happening. And all that stuff, so, anyways. Yes, it, it it's coming somewhere in there. Um. Yeah. Okay. So first of all, this paper from Dartmouth, um, workarounds to computer access and healthcare organizations. You want my password or a dead patient? Um, and there's no solutions in this paper, but what they've done is they've gone and interviewed clinicians, nurses, like um, people in healthcare settings about security controls that are in place to protect resources and protect access to files, sensitive data, obviously in healthcare settings, uh, sensitive data is of extreme importance. However, uh, like, I mean, just from the paper itself, however, in healthcare, we see endemic circumvention of password-based authentication. And is this surprising to you, Ken? 
<laughs> absolutely not. No, absolutely no. not. Um, no. And and I have my thoughts on healthcare plus other stuff yes, in general. Plus, but uh, yeah. Plus other stuff. Yeah. I mean, just password carrying in general. I mean, clinicians, doctors, like they're trying to provide, especially in emergency care situations, security probably just gets in the way as opposed to actually helps uh, when a patient's life is at risk. And obviously that's, that's something that has to be taken into account, like any medical security officers, like however, like whatever they're called in those like IT organizations, that's definitely something I'm sure that is top of mind is usability, right? Usability, you know, the ability to quickly authenticate or quickly unlock a system. I mean, it, uh, the, the paper in and of itself goes into, hey, there's like in some situation, there's a, an intern that their whole job in the operating room is to go around and basically hit the space bar to make sure that people don't get locked out of systems, right? Um, yeah, exactly. Sorry, I was trying to find the right quote. Right? Like, yeah, yeah, and, that, that, and that's amazing to me, right? Like they've come up with these unique solutions to make sure that the technology doesn't get in their way and that security controls don't get in the way of actually providing care. Um, and it, and it's hard to argue against that, even as a security person, because I'm like, damn, like if it's my loved one that's on that table, uh, you know, I, honestly, like, fuck those systems, right? Like, you know, you don't want that getting in the way of the doctor actually doing what they're supposed to be doing. And the fact that we've inserted ourselves into that pipeline concerns me, right? That it means that decisions have been made at a level that hasn't taken to, into account the actual risk and actual what, uh, yeah, the, the actual usability of those systems and security has gotten too high of a prioritization as opposed to what really needs to happen. And I, and I know you've had recent experience with this. I don't know if you want to jump into that or if we just want to, yeah, cross yeah. over it. So. Right. So I just want to preface with, I have already reached out to, uh, well, somebody both Seth and I know who is, you know, knows, um, some folks over at this bank. Um, it's, it's my bank, one of my banks that I, my, my primary bank, I should say that I, that I, you know, have all my stuff with, um, it's just so that I could talk to their security team. Um, they need help. Right. So why I say this is, uh, man, where do I even begin? So early in October, apparently our account was breached, right? You might ask, what does that mean? Is it your login credentials? Maybe don't know. Um, security team doesn't know. Uh, could be also another, another scenario. Um, either they don't know or they won't tell me could be, and this is the other scenario that I was given that the account number and your name is enough to consider it breached. Right. So that was yeah. one of those two scenarios, account credentials to the financial, the bank account. Uh, or, and I need to, this is important. I need to state that, uh, if you log in, if you account compromise, uh, this bank account, right. Um, then, uh, you will immediately have account information, right? You'll have account details and numbers and names, right? So you can pretty much, I guess why I'm saying this is understand that their policy is this, that if your account has the markers for compromise, they will, and I want to be very clear, they're not going to close down your 
digital account. They will close down your bank account. Any checks associated with that bank account, they will close down. Um, or they, they will no longer work, right? Uh, this is important, right? So <clears throat> let's let's fast forward a little bit to my conversation. So I spent about two hours total, and and I have to explain it's not necessarily I'm a I'm a co-owner of a of a, an account, right? And uh, it was actually not my credentials that were stolen. It was uh, or however the, it was breached, right? It was my significant other, right? My my wife, and uh, so. Okay, but we're co-owners on this account, so it affects us both. Both our cards can't work or whatever you would think, but that isn't actually how this all worked out. So let me just give a timeline. We call, we let them know, hey, can't, this is how we figured it out. Like she just couldn't log in, right? So she goes to log in, can't log in. Um, calls them, and, and I think she had tried a couple times uh, and she couldn't log in and just like moved on. You know, it's like one of those things where it's like, oh, I'll come back to it um, over the last couple of weeks, right? So, but it was like, well, you need to log in and like have that access. So I'll help you out. Like, let's jump on that call together. So we call them, spend about two hours in total during this whole ordeal. And we're talking to their fraud department. We're talking to some managers at the fraud department. And, uh, you know, because the, like I said, the, the thing was, well, I can't log in. Okay, cool. Let's talk. Let's, uh, you know, all right. So why can't we log in? Well, there's markers for compromise. Okay, cool. Like, what does that mean? Well, we're going to have you uh, go transaction by transaction from the date of the breach. Now, this is the interesting thing. It's been breached for several weeks, actually a little over several, almost a month, right? No, no accounts never stopped working. Cards never stopped working. Checks cleared, all that stuff, right? So, so for a month, this account has been compromised. We call them, like I said. This is the point at which they they have us walk through transaction by transaction for almost a month. That's painful if you've never done it. We get to the end of that. And they're like, okay. Nothing, you know, we're like, okay, cool. None of those transactions were fraudulent. Nothing breached, I guess. What do we do now? I asked, did we just rotate our credentials, right? The answer is no, we closed down your bank accounts, all of them. We just closed them down and you no longer have access to your money and everything's frozen. Your checks will bounce. Um, so that's our policy. So essentially a login breach quantifies, uh, you know, or equates to rather, uh, we're going to just close everything down. Okay. And I'm, I'm not putting the bank out information out for two reasons. One, I do want to talk to their team. Secondly, I'm not, you know, who wants to put their, their, who they do banking with out there. All right. So we asked them, can we put, it's been breached for a month. You guys haven't done anything. Let's like, let the checks clear. We have several checks clear. We don't want those to bounce. They say, okay, well, our cards still work. Yeah, sure. Fine. No problem. Just call us back when you're ready to close down the accounts. Now, mind you, I obviously had asked to speak to supervisors. I was like, no, that's not even correct. Like I argue with the, the first the first person I talked to. I was like, no, that's not a real policy. That doesn't exist. I think you don't understand. I literally was like, I was like, I don't think you understand your policy. Let me, can I talk to this, a supervisor? This can't be right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this, this can't, can't be, right. be right. You're wrong. I was like, there's no world in which an account login being breached equates to like, we just shut everything down and reopen new accounts, right? And I explained too, I was like, well, you know, you have to understand like, what, what let me tell you, what's the minimum information that constitutes needing to close down this account? And they're like, well, if they know the account number and if they know your name, first and last name, that's enough to consider it breached. And I said, do you know how many systems this is stored in and how many of those systems are breached on a very regular basis? So let me put a scenario in front of you, 100,000 people get breached. Your bank's policy is, we're going to close down 100,000 accounts manually and open them up. Yes, that is our policy. Okay, 
all right, you have a garbage security team. I was like, I don't know how to put that in any, there's no other way I can explain this to you, but like, you really don't have a good security team. And I'm not saying this out of my own personal frustration. I'm telling you, this is generally a horrible policy. Like if there's no other escape hatch than this, yeah, you have problems, right? So anyways, fast forward to the next day. Mind you, nothing was supposed to have been frozen, no accounts, whatever. So I get through that, uh, go to use my card, right? Uh, on something small and declined. Right. Uh, and so I figure, well, maybe it's a vending machine. So that's, you know, like, okay, like whatever. So I go to another place, something small, 30 bucks declined again. Now I have to call them. So I call them and they tell me, um, they basically tell me like, Hey, um, no, they should have, they should not told you that. Like your stuff is definitely frozen. No money can go uh, out. It can come in, but it can't go out. Your, your checks will definitely bounce. Your, your cards do not work obviously. So you actually only have one choice to close everything down i said so wait so because we called in because we couldn't log in which was the only marker for account compromise because mind you nobody sent us a notification nobody told us that right so us trying to go and log in that was that was your your time to then when we call you to to freeze everything on us do you understand what i mean we were compromised for a month but we called you and we did all the right things and we verified all of our our transactions but that's when you decided to freeze our accounts after telling us that wasn't going to happen and you were going to give us a few days to sort this out yes that's yeah. what happened it's, okay yeah so so, so anyways yeah. all of this tangent to be like yeah yes right so you just made and i'm still trying to sort this out ironically i was telling you that some of our i won't put out their names either but some of the the, the financial security system people that we've secured and worked with in the past as i'm trying to relink accounts are telling me i can't even do that so like literally like <laughs> people i know from both organizations are causing me massive pain and all i can think is i need to make some phone calls and like tell some people what's up like i don't know like i don't know what to say like or at least ask some questions of what are you thinking so anyways yeah. i uh yeah i'm gonna try and find somebody uh from from the bank and and who who's so i can at least kind of show them like, well, let's walk through these scenarios and let's talk about it, you know, kind of thing. So anyways, that's, uh, I, I guess what I'm trying to say is I didn't even tell you about this, but once you brought this article, it was like, no, this is the reality of the security world we live in. When people do bad things and you hire bad security teams, they make bad decisions and they put, they put everybody in jeopardy from a usability perspective to in a very real sense, possibly somebody's life ending because, you know, nurses and doctors can't get to their, uh, to their stations or their equipment or whatever, uh, or a system, uh, in time. Yeah. Sorry. That was a long well, tangent, I, man, but this is crazy. No. Yeah. It's, it, I mean, it's exactly what we run into. Right. Um, right. Like I would almost argue that this sort of a paper, this sort of an interview should be required reading for anyone that is developing a security solution for a highly sensitive, uh, function. Right. Uh, whether it is like, how long does it take to authenticate someone, um, right? Is it dependent on network traffic to a domain controller that's halfway across the world? If it does, you fail, right? Like when it goes down, you fail. And it, it, it's that sort of risk analysis. So it's not just like, hey, hackers are actually going to, you know, get access to the data. We're talking about denial of service risk. And again, this all goes back to like, crocs and socks of of security right like you've got the trip the, the authentication authorization you know access control or auditing right and then you also have the cia triad um but the a in cia is availability 
And for yes. some reason that that ties into usability that ties into what is the customer experience when they get hacked or they have a com- compromised credentials is that like, what does that blast radius look like? Because right now the blast radius that you are experiencing is ridiculous. Um, and it is in these like healthcare situations as well. Uh, we don't put enough thought into that. And I don't know if that's just because when we do a threat model, when we do a threat assessment, we are so focused on the attacker. We're so focused on, you know, data exposure, someone's compromising an account, compromising the system. And it's great that we have technology to prevent that from happening. But well-engineered systems, well-designed security systems will also respond to availability and usability in proper in a proper manner. Um, and I know we're, you know, both of us are kind of going on a rant, but I think we've seen this so often in our career that it just is, it's a mess, right? I, I don't know if there's a great no, solution you, for it outside that, of that, do better. Yeah. No, you hit on a good part. That's part of the experience is like, yes, we're supposed to be thinking about adversarial mindset or coming from an adversarial mindset. Sure. But as you get, more realistic and practical and experienced with these things, you realize like, yeah, that's one component that's super important. But the other component is there's a business to run here. Or in this case, you know, there are people, people who need medical care and you got to look at it from all perspectives. And that's where, you know, a mature and experienced security team will come up with a secure, with security policies and technology that, that have a good blend and balance between, between all sides. Right. Like versus this. Yeah. Frankly, like I, I, I just, I don't want to be super mean, but I might, you can tell my, my personally, my opinion of that security team uh, very right now, uh, the bank is, is very low. Right. Because it's yeah. clearly nothing is there have, there have been no other, it, w- it would shock me if there had been a conversation about usability, honestly. Um, and availability yep. for people, for their customers. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, yeah, I just, I, I mean, I keep going back to that, uh, the thought of, you know, Hey, it's, you know, it, it, it is, it's personal to us, right? Like we are right. also consumers. We're not all, we're not just security people. And we've, we've got to think about that, right? Like the situation where it's my parent or my grandparent that's at the bank and, you know, is trying to, trying to choose a password, but you know, we've seen this over the years, right? If you've been in it for any amount of time, you know, what shadow it is, right? The whole reason that cloud systems and um, cloud environments took off is because it was easier for developers, for business people to spin up environments and create new content in the cloud than it was on premise and trying to go through the regular IT, you know, length of time procurement process. And so like, it's almost like, Hey, like think about that process that happened and what do we need to do in security to make that sort of jump happen? Um, like, and I know that there are vendors out there that are, th- that are thinking through that. There are systems that work. I know that I go to healthcare places where the proximity sensors and things are working and it doesn't take a long time. And like, obviously somebody's thought through that, 
but it also makes me question what's going on. And when you go to smaller providers, when I was at the bank, right, like, you know, places that have been around for a long time and are very set in their ways, introducing something that causes additional friction is going to have painful consequences. Absolutely. Yeah, of course, it's going to have painful consequences. Yeah, you're right. Oh, man. Super painful in some cases. Um, like, and I guess yeah. literally in the healthcare sense. Yep. <laughs> yep. Anyways, yeah. that's just, anyway. it's just, uh, it, yeah, yeah. I think like, I wasn't mean to bring this up, man, but you, 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 you had to stir the pot with this article with your, your knowledge. Uh, no, I'm joking. Um, this is a great article. It's not that long too. People should really take it because it's like six pages. It's not that hard of a read. Actually, it's probably more no. like four or five with, with when you take out the references and stuff. Yep. So it's easy to get yeah. through. Oh, cool. Uh, yeah. I mean, some of that, right? Like, you know, in one incident, a doctor could not find the needed medication in the hospital's formulary. So he entered the drug in a free text box he thought would be seen. However, it was not visible. Order was not seen. And the patient suffered loss of half of his stomach, right? Like, oh, shit, man. Right? Like, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I, I think we could That's go on bad. and on and bitch bitch about that for a while but we'll yeah we 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 can we can move on to something else um oh i could yeah i could yeah. bitch about anything for <laughs> right now <laughs> for half an hour <laughs> so many things that, yeah anyways yeah so what but um yeah yeah oh no yeah yeah um i was thinking like since we only have 20 minutes left if you don't mind me just kind of showing this app map thing that clint's newsletter i that's how i found out about it was through clint's newsletter i don't know if you'd seen it in other places but uh yeah i don't know if that's cool with you to do sure. or not yeah let's take a look at it right um i know we could you know we could talk about the open ssl vulnerability i think everybody's going to get that in other places right obviously if you haven't sure. heard go go look up open ssl and 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 patch your shit today, right? Like that's probably where you should be. Um, yeah. But at map, if you're if you're not uh, a subscriber to TLDRSec, you should be. Um, that's Clint Gibbler's newsletter. Uh, there's always good cloud appsec security news, offbeat news articles in that about once a week. So that's where that's what Ken's talking about when it comes to app map. Um, so yeah, will, let me. I'm going to post the links to it really quick while you get that ready. Okay. I'm just share, sharing uh, screen two here. All right. I think, or it will be in a sec. Okay. Yeah. So I just wanted to real briefly cover some of the, the commands. So first of all, uh, app map is the idea is that you get kind of like a, not just source to sync kind of view. And I'm still, admittedly, I'm still playing with it, right? So I'm still learning all of what it does. But uh, it's it's kind of gives you, like I said, a, a, a source to sync view. It gives you, um, uh, it's pretty interesting. It uses PyTest. So it gives like, as you're, as you're running it dynamically, it actually starts to uh, create a map. It just like, it sounds like a map of where your requests go and then what happens there, which I'll show here in a second. But it was very easy. Once you go to app map, uh, you just you click install the VS code. Um, uh, the VS Code uh, plugin. We're using VTM, which is an app that uh, Seth here, Seth, Seth, my my co-host Seth here, and uh, his uh, uh, co-worker Justin uh, Larson maintain. It's like a vulnerable Python app. So anyways, use it for training and stuff like that. But uh, 
so uh, the important bit is it's Django. That's important to know because there's like four that I think languages that are supported. Uh, there's like Ruby, uh, uh, Python with Django and Flask, uh, Java, and something else. I can't remember. It's on the site. Um, so anyways, the way you, you have to, uh, there's like a, I think I did a, hold on, give me a sec here. Um, just go back through my list of commands so you can see how much I was like uh, messing around here. Uh, yeah, so I did a pip install uh, app map. So there is actually a library that you install. So there's a VS Code plugin. There's a library that you install, uh, whether it's Node or Python or whatever it might be. Oh, that's the other one, Node. Uh, that's what I missed. Uh, so yeah, so then you install that. And then um, this is the other weird thing. When I tried to run it, I got this error about uh, not using the insert function on a tuple, which I think a tuple, is a tuple like a, is that the hash key value kind of thing? And then a list is like the array, right? Like. So they call it in. Yep. Why I'm saying this is there was like, um, uh, there was just an error real briefly when I tried to fire it up because of, I want to say on this line, uh, there was this, um, if app map Django middleware, you know, not in the settings, then um, it'll try to run this insert, but the inserts on the wrong type of object. So anyways, all that's important is like, if you run into that, that's what, that's why, right? Okay, so, and by the way, I was just trying to close down this tab on, the shared screen. So anyways, I, I was like, well, I'm not going to fix their code. I'll just add this into the middleware. So under the actual project, um, I ran, uh, you know, added that to the, the, the actual settings middleware section. Okay. So that's how you get it all kind of installed. Three things, right? Uh, so cool. It's running. Awesome. So what does it do? So once you actually uh, start recording, um, it does some runtime analysis, right? So I'm actually debugging the app. I ran the, uh, you know, run, uh, start debugging. And uh, so the app maps uh, plugin started doing some actual mapping. So what's interesting is that as you browse around the app, it starts to build this um, cool little map. And I'm going to try and make things a little easier to see here, hopefully. So you can see that um, if I could scroll over, there's a get to this path that it recognizes and it starts doing kind of the flow, right? It does a, uh, here's where, um, Here's where the request goes. There's like a HTML file template that gets rendered. There's a database lookup. Um, it's very basic. Obviously, I'm still very early in trying to figure out how this all works. Um, it will do some runtime analysis too. So like as it discovers things that are wrong in your code, uh, and I don't think it's just security issues. I think it's actually just like structural issues and things like that. It'll actually put that in the runtime analysis bit, which is in a uh, you have to sign up for it. It's like a beta thing, but it's pretty easy to sign up for it. Um, so yeah, it, you know, like, and I'll just show, hold on one sec here. Maybe I can get a incognito window going. Um, and we're going to get some, make this All right. So as I, um, navigate more and more through the site, that's when the actual runtime analysis occurs. So, um, let me kind of close this down so you can see this list kind of grow as I, uh, what was it? Test one, two, three, or something. Uh, really super strong password. Um, all right, so I'm just going to start clicking on stuff. Um, maybe I'll edit this uh, task here, and you'll see this is still. You see this runtime analysis is growing and growing and growing, and it's recording. And uh, I think this even helps you create tests as well, if I'm not mistaken. So, anyways, it's just a really. It was easy to get going. I feel like. 
Um, and it's just kind of fun to, to see like how it actually builds these lists and how it creates these maps. And uh, yeah, it's just kind of, just kind of a cool, um, and obviously it's very basic right now, but uh, I, I don't know, just cool. It seems like cool tech, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Anything to add yeah. there, Seth? Well, and yeah, I, I mean, stuff like this is so useful when it comes to actually doing like doing code review or even, even like a dynamic hybrid analysis, like some sort of open box test where you have the code. Uh, since it gives you a visual representation of what's going on. So being able to tie the, um, I mean, I mean, we use this a lot of times, like these, the server requests, like through Burp Suite or whatever else. Um, but the fact that it's tied to the code is so useful, right? I know, I know, I can't tell you the number of hours that I spend um, in a hybrid assessment. So I have have code, but there's a running instance that's running up in, you know, their QA or Dev instance. And I find some endpoint in dev or QA and then have to go back and trace the code manually um, because I don't have a running instance of it actually locally. So, so something like this, if you can get it to that point or have AppMap installed and get that sort of visual representation, will just speed things up. Like even as simple as the SQL query that you've got up on the screen right now, um, because it knows where that's actually like that source to sync trace is happening. And we spend so much time doing that source to sync um, kind of like input you know, injection issues in the, in the, um, in the code review process that it, uh, it's really invaluable and it'll just help help. Even if it's not a quote unquote security tool, um, all these developer tools are just helpful. Yeah, and I know this is a oh they have a trace view too. Oh, that's cool. That's cooler for sure. Yeah. Okay. Yep. So now we're oh now we're getting in the meat of some cool cooler stuff here. Nice. Man. Yep. The SQL selects like exactly what's being returned. What the actual back end um, updates kind of look like. Very cool. Yeah, and something like this, I could see since it does everything in JSON, I could see that being parsed. Um, basically, the yeah. output being used in a different way. Um, so, anyways, I just wanted to—we don't have to spend a ton of time on this. I just—I thought it was, yeah. Since we talked so much about code review and different tools and stuff like that, I thought, hey, this seems kind of neat. Like, this is kind of fun to, to to play around with, and it's not that hard to get it going. So, why not show it? Yep. Well, and I mean. This is why you always want to ask the developers, right? What they're um, like, what tools they're actually using when they develop software. Um, it's it, it's so it can be it's pretty critical, right? Um, since it will give us, it'll give you an opportunity to look in, look through their lens as to what they're actually seeing. Speed up your own research into a code base but also inject security in at a level that you understand it and then talk to them at that same level, right? So if they are using something like AppMap, using that in your demonstration, um, if they are using Postman for, for their APIs, you should be using Postman as well as you interact with those endpoints because it'll give you that same view that they have. And when you find a vulnerability, they'll be able to pick that up very quickly and actually, you know, fix it, analyze it. Like it just helps everyone in that process. Um, yeah, if you're still using VI to do uh, secure code review or code review in general, uh, there's there's very few situations where I find that that useful anymore outside of a quick look. 
I have to say, there is a, I work with uh, Boz Alberts, um, <laughs> and his Emacs setup is so insanely crazy dope that yeah. I feel... <laughs> I'm just like I don't know. Like I feel like he can do anything in 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 Emacs. He's got the most insane setup ever. But uh, anyway, super smart guy. Uh, yeah. Right, yeah. Well, I mean, if if they've developed that environment over the course of a number of years, yeah, for sure, right? Like, but you know, jumping into it as a newbie to Emacs probably isn't the best use of your time, right? Mm-mm. Probably, yeah. Probably not. No, no, no. But no, I I agree with you. I'm, I'm joking, but I think. It's important that you use, especially when you're doing code reviews, you should be doing the, you should be, you be using ideally what developers are using yep. to develop the product, especially, you know, like, I hope people are moving more towards, uh, well, I don't know, it's a personal choice, but I, I do like code spaces because uh, you can kind of have a shared in, um, environment in the sense that like all the startup files and stuff uh, can be the same, right? So you can open a repo and have like all the environment file, files kind of whenever somebody opens up a code space in that repo, it'll have all that stuff just preloaded and kind of just work out of the box. So that's been nice. But, uh, you know, um, some people are still using old IDEs for old Java stuff and you got (laughs) to deal with that too. So, you know, whatever. I still get, you know, zip files of code. So, (laughs) Oh my god, I hate that yeah, so won't. much. That is the worst. <laughs> also, it stinks when they they re- they remove all the commit history. Since I, you know, we talk about it. I love pilfering yep. through the commit history. To, that, that, that's to find that's out my biggest. Yeah, that's my biggest pet, biggest pet peeve about getting a zip file of code is it usually doesn't include the the git history or you know the way that they've dumped it. Um, yeah. Outside of the fact that when you're talking about .NET projects and they only include like the one project and forget that they have like internal, you know, 15 internal dependencies and, you know, it, it becomes oh, kind of yeah. a black hole. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, that sort of stuff. Can, yeah. I know that sometimes it's a policy thing. Well, here we go. Security policies again. I know, some, <laughs> I know sometimes it's internal policies where they're like, actually, I know for a fact this is this has happened with me before where it's like, uh, if I give you a zip file, it's one thing. If I give you access to the multiple repositories required um, to make that same code run, then it's uh, it falls under a, da- a usually a, a data classification kind of standard, or uh, risk, you know how, how how you deal with third parties with your with various. How do I say it? How how do you handle providing third parties outside the company? um you know data essentially and then how what what does that data fall in line with on a risk classification scale right is it like critical is it you know whatever so is it not not a big deal is it not confidential at all um all that kind of fun stuff so anyways why i'm saying that is like yeah the policies sometimes get in the way of getting all the access you need which is Mm -hmm. kind of fun yep yep yeah anyway um all right, so that is App Map. Um, do you want to talk about Dastardly? I don't know if you've looked into it that much. Um, I'm happy to talk about it. I haven't looked into it that much. I just saw what people wrote in our Slack, which I, I was so busy this weekend. I, I saw the messages and I was like, oh, there's so many good conversations. I couldn't get into any of them. It was too busy. But um, anyways, I saw people post about it's like a, can you talk about it actually? It's like a lightweight burp suite plug-in thing yeah, that doesn't do it, auth or something? 
Yeah, so it's it's a uh, lightweight web app scanner for your CI/CD pipeline, right? So headless. Um, it actually spins up, you know, a couple of, uh, if I remember right, it, it, it spins up, whoops, um, the uh, browser, like a headless browser, interacts with the site, um, requires minimal configuration, right? It seems like they want to start pushing into the CICD space more outside of like the enterprise edition or the use of Burp Suite Professional, which is what you and I use on a daily basis. Um, but there are certain limitations, right? Like, so it's a free, um, free tool. Scans are limited to 10 minutes, right? So anything longer than that just gets shut down, which means overly complex applications may or may not actually succeed. You probably would want to keep it pretty limited to, hey, I'm scanning this one endpoint, this one, this one service, this one, you know, um, whatever. And then it it it's not a full burp suite scan, right? That's that's probably my main takeaway here. There's only a few things that it actually checks, which can be a positive and a negative, right? Like we always talk about false positives with most of these applications that there's a lot of noise that comes out of it um, that, you know, you can basically run around chasing your tail if you are analyzing the results that are popping out of these tools. Um, it looks like they've tried to consolidate that down to more of like, hey, uh, false negative, like I want to, I want to give you confidence in what's actually coming out of the tool. Um, so we're going to keep it very streamlined and very simple. And if it identifies something uh, we're we're fairly confident that that is an, is actual a vulnerability that is there. Take that with a grain of salt because I haven't actually implemented this in a pipeline yet. Um, it's on our to do list, and maybe we can show this in a future episode. Ken, that might not be a bad idea. Yeah, we you know actions is so easy to get up and running. Um, we sort of could do it there. We could do it somewhere else, wherever. Um, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Well, yeah, and, and I, mean, I think can... you could even, we could even just run it command line. I'm pretty sure against VTM okay. or whatever else it is um, to actually see how it performs. Um, since we know that there are vulnerabilities on specific pages there, uh, one of the drawbacks there with the free dastardly though, is that it does not do authentication. Um, so you, if you've got some sort of login process that you've built with Burp Suite with the plugin, um, it may or may not or it, it's not going to work with Dastardly. It's just not supported right now. Um, I assume that's going to be like the paid for part of that at some point, maybe. maybe that's speculation. Maybe. I don't know why I'm posing that as a question to you. <laughs> it's just speculation. Yeah. You, you, you can go over and ask in uh, at, you know, Port Swigger, right? Actually, let me drop it in the. Well, you know, the funny thing is Port Swigger, you know, they're the ones who I feel like uh, do understand some of the more... Um, the newer, the newer issues that are kind of being raised that are not good to do. So there just there are things that are just source code analysis is just a waste to even try and tackle. You know, dynamic scanning is for sure better at some things. Um, and I, they're, I guess, why I'm saying that is they're they're pretty they're pretty dang knowledgeable about what those things are. So you know, I'd imagine yep. um, they do a good job with those uh, subset of things. Um, yep. I don't know about you, but one other thing I don't see enough of is like. Oh, go ahead. Sorry, I feel like you're going to say something. Oh, I, I was just going to say I don't think I don't feel like I see enough like uh, easy regression um, kind of testing setup, you know, for like known bones that you've had before and trying to 
replicate that either on the same endpoint or similar endpoints. Um, especially like with authorization related stuff, I definitely don't feel like I see enough of that um, beyond the like, and, and like uh, there, I mean, then there are some things where it's, you know, like you've talked about it before where, you know, once, once it's in a production environment, you might see like uh, systems like a WAF or something in place where, uh, or a, even a reverse proxy, where actually it, it introduces security issues that wouldn't be there otherwise, if you were just looking at the application in isolation. Um, yep. But again, like, uh, you know, I, I haven't I haven't messed with the tool, and I feel like those are pretty competent folks. So, you know, benefit benefit of the doubt, gonna gonna give it a shot and see how it goes. Um, yep. And you know, it's, I, how many times have you been disappointed over the years with DAST? Though is, is you know the last thing I was gonna kind of ask you. <laughs> how many? Uh, or when was the last time? You know, like within the last <laughs> yeah, two weeks, last right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's 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 yeah. hard. It's hard to do. There's too many different complex applications, so it can be kind of kind of kind of hard. That's I guess yep. what I'm trying to say. Custom applications, old tech, old phone, you know, old scanners that are out there may or may not actually apply to new frameworks. Yeah, yeah. yeah. bleeding that dry. <laughs> yeah, so it, it's kind of like it. You got to take it with a grain of salt, right? Like test it out. If it works for you, great. Um, honestly, no, nothing's ever going to touch probably real custom integration tests that you and your developers build together. Right. Uh, yeah. But if it gets you most of the way there, or it gets you partially there and speeds up your process and actually securing your app. Great. Right? That's, ne I'm never going to tell someone that they shouldn't use it. Well, no, never mind. There's probably tools I would say. <laughs> yeah, there are tools. <laughs> yeah. No, I have tools I would say don't even bother with. Yeah. Well, and that's, you know, this is the other thing too. Like I was thinking about this recently is, you know, if, if you at all have to deal with budgets, right, um, which a lot of us do uh, with the global economy and the tightening of the belt in most places right now, um, you know, like you really have to be pretty choosy about what tools you're purchasing, uh, what services you're pur purchasing and all of that. So um, just kind of saying all that to, to, I guess what I'm saying is uh, it, it'd, it'd be interesting, those tools you had mentioned that they were, they kind of just been around for a long time and they're kind of just still bleeding people dry with uh, the old style of stuff that they're doing. You know, I wonder if you'll see some of those uh, get cut in the in the future budget, um, or or maybe not. Maybe it's just there's the power of compliance, man. That's that's another aspect. You know, if you can if you can get a whole swath of compliance checklists check or check boxes checked, uh, you know, that's a hard thing to say that it's not worth the money on, right? So even if it's not necessarily actually doing anything well, but it's actually checking those boxes, what do you do? Right. That's a hard, I think that, yeah, that can be a, yeah. you, that, that requires you to, 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 to look more creatively, I think at the problem set, but, but anyways. Yeah. Well, I, I, I don't know. We've, we did, I did have this discussion quite a few times at St. Con about like utilizing QA, um, utilizing other resources outside of security for performing security testing. And mm -hmm. I, I mean, that's, that's the whole idea behind DevSecOps is you're using tooling 
security tooling in the DevOps pipeline in order to find these security vulnerabilities. So anything like Dastardly that's out there that you know increases that awareness is great. But that's why I go back to things like Postman. Developers are using Postman. They're writing unit tests and integration tests in Postman. So write a security test and a security integration test in Postman. Submit it back to the development team, the QA team. Let them actually build that out. That's where I've been most successfully in my career when I'm embedded in an organization is working with the developers in those situations as opposed to trying to implement Fortify or AppScan or WebInspect outside of the realm of the development organization. Yeah. Yeah. So. No, I, mean, I agree. I, I, I mean, it, it's, yeah. it's tooling, it's, it's knowledge, but you know, I mean, they're, they're at the same time, it's a tough, it's, it can't, I mean, it can be a little tough to put that entirely in the hands of say QA or, or what have you, but there are definitely bits you can, you can, you can, and you have to offload to, to other resources within the organization. Um, so I agree. I just think, uh, you know, it's it's a shared response. I guess it's you know how how to th- how you can think about it, a shared responsibility kind of model. Yep. Yep. Yeah, and then you know again usability, scalability of those security tools when we're giving those to developers. Yeah, I I don't know. Maybe I'm turning nihilist, right? Like after we're repeating, we're reading these like <laughs> articles, and yeah, it's just. I have a hard time recommending something that doesn't work in most of the situations that they come up against. Right. So, you know, for dastardly, if it's not working against half of the applications that are running through your CI CD pipeline, is it really worth it? Right. Like, you know, it's, it's that uh, risk versus reward analysis that has to be done. Um, and then I start to think about other ways that you can approach the problem and uh, hence the reason I go back to integration tests and all that, you know, everything. Yeah. Else I mean, yeah. Well, I'm looking at like how app maps running a kind of a hybrid model where it's doing some analysis of your code and then it's also doing some runtime analysis and the, that, that starts to become more of an interesting way to attack the problem. Right. Um, yep. this hybrid model where you have, you know, vis- all the visibility, right. If you have both code and the running environment. There's, that's a powerful, I mean, for a human and for a tool, that's powerful. Um, yep. And so maybe that's the, the future s- solution to these problems, uh, you know, which you kind of saw with, uh, I mean, that's kind of like a reverse version of that, uh, like working in reverse of that with like uh, RASP tooling, right? It's, it's, it's sitting there, it's looking at the dynamic content coming inbound and it knows how the application's behaving and it, you know, it sees the exceptions that occur and, and all of these things, but it, obviously it's not a- attacking. It's, it's trying to see what attacks uh, are there and then prevent them from uh, eff- effectively executing. So it's, it's, yeah. it's working this, this is a similar kind of hybrid model, but just in reverse and more of a defensive uh, approach. Yep. Yep. Well, and I, I mean, it, there's been a number of tools over the years that have attempted similar things, right? Like I, I, I think of where our friend Dave Linder works, Contrast, the stuff that they do as far as like protection and the, the RASP, IASP space, whatever it, whatever it's called nowadays, right? Um, but they have access into the runtime, the Java runtimes, and they're actually watching code as it comes in and trying to identify um, issues in the code based on what's actually running through 
you know, we're running through the application from a dynamic perspective. Um, so there's other things that are out there that you can actually, that you can utilize. Um, you think about some of the web application firewalls back in the day, right? Like I'm thinking of Imperva, wherever they're at now, right? Like having, they had like a database layer component, right? That would sit between your web server and the database layer and actually watch database calls as they went back and forth to try and identify uh, SQL injection attempts. Um, also in a dynamic environment, but not necessarily, uh, you know, between the user and the web server, but between the web server and the database server, right? So there's different places that we can inject our security tooling that give us better info than just what the HTTP request looks like, what Burp Suite looks like, or, you know, uh, you know, places that are there. So mm-hmm. again, take it, take it all with a grain of salt and try to apply the tool to the situation that you are currently in. And if it gets you part of the way there, if it spurs other um, discussions, then great. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so to, to, to wrap all this up, um, cause we've, we've talked a lot about, uh, I don't know. Security is the worst and you should be scared. Some, yeah. <laughs> some optimism, uh, yes. but some pessimism. I, I need to ask you something to, to lighten the mood. If you were, okay. if, if you were going to choose a Jedi to emulate, <laughs> which Jedi would you emulate? Uh, Watch as I break Seth's brain on live camera. <laughs> finally, finally, I will make Seth crack on, on live podcast. <laughs> which Jedi? I mean, uh... you don't get to choose multiple. You have to choose one. There's, there's only one. There's only one. Um, only one. Well, where are we going? Like traditional, like first three, like you know. Listen, original, don't, or... don't try to make me clarify it. You figure <laughs> out in your head. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's a great image. Uh, I love that Talos uh, meme here of, uh, of Ben talking to Luke. Hey, if you need a ghost of your old hermit friend, you should kill your dad. (laughs) If you're not on Snapdex, you should be, yes. (laughs) Yes. That works, right? Like, yeah. I I mean, I I think you have to dig. I I really like Obi-Wan after uh, that most recent series that came out, right? Yes. Um, Right. Just because he is. It's kind of hard not to. So complex. Um, You know, otherwise, like if I'm looking at. Yeah. I don't know. There's, there's, there's too many absolutes that are out there and like trying to walk those like fine gray lines. I, yeah, I enjoy that. So we'll stick with Obi-Wan. I know it's, it's probably cliche, but I'll, I'll stick with that for now. Right. I think <laughs> until I come up with I, a reason not to, yeah. I have to say, I think Qui-Gon Jinn was the, the ultimate gray area. Yeah, Jedi, he was though. Yeah. So true. You know, he dabbled and learned all sides. True. Yeah. But the, the prequels, I just can't, Right. I can't. So yeah, that's. <laughs> yeah. Fair, fair point. Fair point. I hear you. All right. So you hear, you heard it here first. We're, uh, we're going with Obi-Wan here. We're going with so. Obi-Wan. Yeah. <laughs> Someone put it. <laughs> oh no, 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 no Jar Jar Jedi. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. The ultimate wait, Sith. Wasn't he supposed to be a Sith? I, I can't remember. That's the, the conspiracy yeah. theory. That's the conspiracy yes. theory. 
<laughs> Anyways, I guess as a reminder to everybody on the security note, OpenSSL is going to have a thing or has a thing today. So go ahead and patch. But yeah, whatever. yeah, it'll be another thing. Yeah. I don't know. Okay, I'm sorry well, if we don't get super excited anymore for these things. They're kind of just operational business. Yeah, it's going to happen. Right? Kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's going to happen. Um, I'm more interested to see the code. One of the things I'd like to start doing, Ken, is, and this happened in the in the channel earlier, we had a, a newer listener that posted that um, Go vulnerability that he actually found. Who was that? I'm going back through. That was Rich, right? Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, he was looking at the Concourse CI and found a like really good little like put post authorization issue. Um, I would like to start doing like uh, code to exploit traces, right? On some of these as they come out. Um, I know we we show code from time to time. I've got one that maybe will will pop up there next week that was super interesting with a IP accept list um, that they were using for access control that we'll talk about. Um, but some of these, like seeing what the exploit looks like in code and then also running, um, will be a kind of an interesting series to run through. So if you've got examples of that or something you'd like us to trace, jump into Slack and join the conversation. And yeah, we'll take a look at it. We'll talk about it. And so maybe we'll do that next week with OpenSSL as well. That is so cool that, that uh, the docs led uh, Rick to that uh, vulnerability. That's so cool. Because I just think that's all, that's always a, an area to, to highlight is to look at documentation because it'll give you those like, does that seem right to you the way you're reading it? Similar to like what we did with Rocket and looking at the authorization uh, or yeah. the middleware slash authorization and the weighted yeah. paths and all that. So anyways, I think that's awesome. People utilize the documentation and they end up finding bones because of it. So I need to read a little bit more about that advisory, which I am bookmarking right now, but that is super cool. Yep. Yep. Yes. Um, cool. Okay. Well, we've been going for an hour today. Like obviously we, there's, uh, there's a lot going on. So jump on in and yeah. That Slack is, re any Slack is really hopping. Yeah, no, because no, you said jump on in. I was just going to add to that. Like the Slack has really got some new, like it's got a lot. Of, it's been lively. It's got some good information in there now. So the community yep. is, I'm really loving it. The community is really growing. It is. Sweet. Um, if you want swag, hit us up. We've got some new swag coming. I know I keep teasing it, but I've been too lazy to actually get it on to, to t-shirts and stickers, but it's coming. Um, might have to do with... Uh, Oh crap. I, I should show the picture of Aaron and Crocs and socks, but we'll throw that into Slack here shortly. Um, or Aaron can post it into, uh, into Slack. I, I would love for him to do that since it is a picture of him and I know he's listening. So. <laughs> awesome. Well, it's awesome. always a good opportunity to, to embarrass friends and family. Um, yes. You know, any chance you get. So <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> All right. We love you, Aaron. Thanks. Yeah, we love you. All right. Thanks, everybody, for joining. We'll, we'll, we'll see you all next week. Absolutely. Thank you.